Uh, we're continuing our series this morning on Upside Down, walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now, when Paul writes his letters, he normally deals in each of the churches with doctrinal issues that they're struggling with, but then he also deals with practical issues. See, Christianity is not about just how much we know in our minds. It's important for us to grow in our knowledge. But what the Lord asks of those following him is just not growth in the mind, but also growth in obedience. And so Paul, when he's writing these epistles, there's always very practical guidance that's given within the epistles as well. And typically the pattern is he deals with the doctrinal issues up front, and then at the end of his book, he talks about practical things. And so we are in that section uh, this morning that I have just entitled Final Instructions. And we're going to look at some of those final instructions that Paul gives. So follow along as I begin reading with verse number 12. We ask you, brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This morning, as we look at these final comments, Paul is writing to a church that he has commended for their faith, hope, and love. And you remember, we've talked about those are the measuring sticks that the Apostle Paul uses in all of his epistles as he's writing to the churches. He talks about their faith, their hope, and their love. And this is a very healthy church because they're commended in all three of those areas. But it's not a perfect church. You're never going to find a perfect church. And you know the old saying, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. <laughs> so there is no such thing as a perfect church. And actually, even in a healthy church, we would expect to find people at all levels of maturity. Because if a church is healthy, they're seeing people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. So there's new believers in the church, and they have to mature. And then we would find people at all different levels of maturity within the church. And I think that's part of what we find here in Thessalonica. So Paul is going to give them instructions. And for this morning, we're going to see instructions to and about two different groups of people. The first group is in regard to leaders. You see that in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now, Paul says of these leaders that they are over you in the Lord. The word that's used for over you means to set over 
to superintend, to preside over, to be a protector or a guardian for them. Paul uses this word, and he's going to describe to us how leaders are supposed to lead. Now, over in Romans 12, 8, Paul says to those who lead that the one who leads, the one that has the spiritual gift of leading, he needs to do that with zeal. He needs to be excited about that role. The Scriptures talk about if anyone desires the office of bishop, which is the same thing as an elder in the church, he desires a good thing. So Paul is going to talk to us about how we are to respond to and have respect for those who are over us. Now, as we think about this in our church here at Maranatha, uh, which groups would we be talking about or thinking through? Well, we would be thinking, first of all, that the elders of the church. And as a ministry, we have 11 elders in our ministry. We are an elder-governed church. The group that you see there, these 11 men are the decision makers for Maranatha Bible Church. Also, I think it would apply as well to our ministry staff here within the church. And there you will see those who are on the ministry staff, our pastors and our directors. And just to let you know, in uh, the next couple of months, we will have two other individuals joining our staff uh, we have hired someone who will be taking the place of Adam Reilly, who, who left us a few months ago, and then also we have hired a new middle school pastor that we're still working out as to when he will be starting with us. But the elders, the pastors and directors are over us as a body to admonish us, and to perform other functions. Now, the word that's used to have a charge over you or to be over you refers to, like, leadership in an army, uh, leadership in a state. Uh, it's used also of those who manage their households. Uh, the requirements for both elders and deacons is that they be able to manage their household well. And as Paul is using it, it means that these individuals have oversight of all the aspects of a local church. And so these are the individuals that we're going to be referring to this morning as the leaders. Now, what are we to do with our leaders? Paul says, verse 12, we are to respect them. We're to have respect for those who are serving in these roles. Right there in verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect them. Not only are we to respect them, we are also to love them. Look in verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love. Our leaders need to know that they are respected and that they are loved. I thought to, this week as I was preparing about a story that a pastor and later on went to be a very effective uh, minister 
in a seminary and a professor there. His name was Calvin Miller. Uh, many years ago, we had Ka Calvin Miller uh, come to our church and speak one Sunday. Uh, he's now gone on to be with the Lord. But he had served for 25 years in a church in Nebraska. And in his autobiography, he shares how those 25 years were very up and down, up and down. And so, after 25 years, he felt the Lord was calling him to a shift in ministry. And he tells about the day he's leaving Nebraska, and his wife Barbara is asking him, do you want to stay uh, because they had a long drive ahead of them. Do we want to stay in Nebraska tonight? And he says, no, I want out of Nebraska. That might give you some clue as to what he thought about the ministry that was happening there. Now, the church was being blessed. The church was growing. People were being saved and baptized. But he just felt it was time for him to move on. That night, tired, they go into the hotel room, and I just want to read a section from the book to you. We were tired and immediately climbed into bed. Almost as an afterthought, Barbara reached over into the box of thank you notes that I had placed on the nightstand beside the bed. Would you like me to read you a thank you note? There must be at least a thousand notes in this box. No, I said. We'll read them on our way to Texas tomorrow. She looked as though she would put the thank you note back in the box and then thought better of it and tore it open. Money dropped out. We were both stunned. Read another one, I said. <laughs> she did. And another bill fell out. This was my idea of a thank you note. We stayed up opening notes till the wee hours of the morning. I had no idea they were taking up a love offering for us. Barbara said, I guess they loved us more than we thought they did. Will someone please tell me why God's people have so much trouble telling other people they are loved. I don't know, I said. All the time they loved us, she said. They just never let on. I wonder why they never let on. Calvin answered, I guess I never gave them a reason to till I resigned. Then he writes this. I wonder how many preachers resigned their churches because nobody ever let on. She wondered. I wondered all through the night. I wondered all the next day. These 17 years later, I still wake up at midnight wondering. How sad it is that in many churches you have a relationship that is combative between the congregation and the pastor or between the leadership board and the pastor or between the deacons and the youth pastors. Thankfully, as a church, 
That is not true here. As a staff, we know that we are loved and we know that we are appreciated. But at the same time, I want you to know that there are pastors out there who each and every day wonder, does their congregation really love them? Does their congregation really appreciate them? And so Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica. He's saying, respect your leaders, love them. And then he adds in verse 13, be at peace with them. Notice that at the end of the verse, be at peace among yourselves. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the writer of Hebrews said, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We need to, as members of the body, submit to those who are in leadership over us and make their job easy. And once again, I want to commend you as a congregation of believers. You do that here at Maranatha Bible Church. As a congregation, we have never been in situations where we have had battles going on or where uh, the members of this church has made it difficult for us as elders to lead and guide in the ministry. So we don't want to be at war with one another We want to bless the Lord, and we want to be at peace with those who are in the role of leadership. And we'll see as well, we need to be at peace with everyone within our body. Now, why are we to respect, love, and be at peace with our leaders? Paul will answer that for us as well in verses 12 and 13. And the reason we are to do this is because of, first of all, their work. Look at verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. Their work is to work for the body, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ to the body of believers, and to be faithful in the work that is before them. Now, notice how it says their work is among you, not over you, but among you you. You know, as elders, we are also a part of the congregation, and it's not something for us to lord it over you, but we are to work among you. Not just be over you, but work among you. And the word used for work is a word that that means to grow weary, to become tired, to be exhausted. And there are times that the ministry can be exhausting. There are times when it takes a great deal of work to be able to lead, and in particular, to lead a congregation this size. So we are to have regard for our leaders because of their work. Secondly, because of their responsibility. See that in verse 2 is, or verse 12 as well. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. It is their responsibility to be over the body. And that's why we have this respect 
for them. And notice next, Paul is going to say, uh, we have respect for our leaders because of their admonishment to us, right at the end of verse 12, and admonish you. Now, the word admonish is a word from that would be similar to what we would call counseling. It means to warn, to exhort. Uh, the word is all about nudging people to go in the right direction. Uh, it may at times, and it does at times, involve saying some hard things to people, warning people about their behavior. The word means to strongly encourage someone, that someone who is choosing a path that is contrary to Scripture, that you need to tell them. Uh, I, I know that there's some pastors that, ad, that kind of shrink away from admonishing people because they don't like confrontation. Well, most people do not love confrontation. Uh, matter of fact, if you love getting in a fight all the time, there's something wrong with you. But there are times when we must admonish. There are times in which we must warn, even when it's not a pleasant task. Uh, usually, if someone is far down that road, they will resist the counsel or they will attack you in response because they don't want to face the sin. Proverbs 17.10 tells us, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. And I have to tell you, in my time as your pastor, I've had to counsel some people that the Bible would say are fools. They are totally disregarding the Word of God and the direction that comes from that. See, it's unacceptable for a husband to throw knives at his wife. It's unacceptable for a spouse to say, I want to save my marriage, but not at the expense of giving up my mistress. It's unacceptable for a, per, for a man to have a woman in another town who thinks he's going to marry her while he's married to a woman in this town. Now, all of those are true examples. I didn't make any of those up. And all of those are examples of individuals who did not want to hear what the Word of God has to say. And I can tell you things got a little heated in the office when they were confronted with their actions. Because typically a person that doesn't want to be corrected is going to lie about what they're doing. And yet... When the proof is put before them, 
and they know that they are caught, they often come out angry. We'd say come out swinging. Fortunately, that hasn't happened physically. Uh, That's been threatened once or twice, but it's never come out. That is part of the role of our leaders to admonish people. Now, this is how we are to respond to our leaders. Now, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about difficult people. How do we respond toward difficult people? Now, what do we mean when we say difficult people? Uh, Difficult people fall into two different categories. There are some that are difficult because of their attitudes. They just have a bad attitude all the time. They're obnoxious. uh, They're uh, pushy. And many times they have an attitude, too, that they don't care what the Word of God says. They're going to do what they want to do. And then there are some people who are difficult just because of their needs. doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It's just that their needs are so overwhelming that it's difficult to minister to meet all of those needs. Well, Paul is, is going to deal with these people. Now, Ray Stedman, in writing about difficult people, uh, wrote this. He says, believers who go regularly to church and profess to believe the Bible often seem to go along with the practices of the world around them with hardly any consciousness that what they are doing is unbiblical and really wrong. They lie without hesitation. They evade paying their bills. They cheat on their taxes. They ignore needy people. They fail to keep appointments They freeload shamelessly. They lose their tempers. They grow critical and caustic. They desert their mates. And so all of that happens, and it needs to be addressed. And it needs to be addressed by the elders, but then by each of us with our brothers in Christ. So in regard to difficult people, Paul is going to give us different categories and a different way of approaching them. The first one is the disorderly. Look at verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Now, if you look down, if, if, that, if you have the English standard, standard version that I'm preaching from this morning, you'll note at the bottom of the page, there's a footnote there that says, or disorderly, or undisciplined. So the word that's used for idle there is a word that really means disorderly, unruly. Uh, it speaks in the, the, the Greek of the individual in society who did not show up for work, It also refers to those who will not get in rank, will not line up, and who will not march in the cadence they're supposed to. I'm so thankful I was never in the military and had to march with people. 
See, I have no rhythm, no sense of timing. And I know I would have been the target for the, the, the trainer uh, to get in step. You know, it's, it's sort of like as a church on songs when we're clapping, please don't look at me. Please don't. I am always, uh, I am told at least, I am always at least a half beat off. And so my clap is coming at the wrong time. And that is because I don't feel the music. Unless the bass is hitting me like this, I can't feel the beat of the music. So I watch people. And I watch the person on the stage. So my clapping is sort of like, so the, trying to get it right, and I'm told I'm always wrong. This word used in the Greek would be referring to me. I'm out of rank. I'm out of order. I'm disorderly with what I'm trying to do there. Now, with those who are disorderly, we are to admonish them. Same word that was used that the elders have to admonish. We are to admonish one another. So, admonish the disorderly. Next, encourage the faint-hearted. Verse 14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle or disorderly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Okay, so it's one thing to be out of step. It's another thing to be faint-hearted. And we deal with individuals differently. These individuals don't need to be warned. It describes those who are tempted to lose heart, to drop out, or to quit. Uh, the first way of admonishing is to be severe with those individuals. Get back in line. This is just the opposite. Not everyone is unruly. Many are faint-hearted. And the word for faint-hearted means to lose soul. To lose your soul. To lose your passion. It means that the person is small-souled. This group of people, they are easily discouraged and despondent. They are overwhelmed by stress and burdened with problems. They may be individuals who are facing a crisis at home or at work or at school and find the Christian life just a continual struggle. For those who are faint-hearted, we don't admonish them. What do we do? We encourage them. We reach out to put courage into their hearts. So we encourage them. There's a next group, and that is the weak. Look at that in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Uh, this word to help the weak means that we are to, to cleave to them, to build them up. They are the ones who are having a hard time even standing. The difference, between, the difference between the weak and the faint-hearted is the faint-hearted has started and they're not finishing. The weak are having trouble even getting 
started. You know, the, the faint-hearted have run out of gas. Uh, these individuals that are weak are exhausted, burnout, out, wrung out, worn out. They are morally and spiritually and even physically drained. Often this group is the easiest for us to ignore in a church. Because often they will be the ones who slip in at the last moment and then slip out before every, anyone can engage them. They are weak and they are in need of help, but they're not willing to let others help them. And yet, as fellow believers, we have a responsibility to help the weak. And with all of these individuals, we are to be patient with them. Notice verse 14 again, after he says, help the weak, be patient with them all. With all three of those categories, the disorderly, the faint-hearted, the weak, we are to be patient with them. Well, this patience means that we are being kind with them. This word for patience means that we are loving them. Uh, actually, the word translated patience is a word that really means long and suffering. We are long suffering with them. So we are to be patient with them. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we are told that love is patient, love is kind. And if we aren't patient and if we're not kind, we're not loving. If we're frustrated and angry, we aren't loving. So we need to love them and through that love, be patient with them. Then Paul goes on in verse 15 and says, See that no one repays evil for evil. We do not get even. We don't have a scorecard that we're walking around, okay, he's one up on me, now I'm going to get him. No, our goal is not to get even. You know, a story is told that I read this week of a truck driver who dropped into an all-night restaurant in Broken Bow, Nebraska. The waitress had just served him when three motorcycle riders, looking like they were a part of Hell's Angels, came into the place. Uh, they walked over to him to intimidate him. Uh, one reached out and took his hamburger and took a bite out of it and put it back on his plate. Another reached in and took a handful of his fries and ate those. A third took his cup of coffee and took a drink out of it. The truck driver did not respond. He just asked for his bill, took his bill on the money, and put it over on the cash register. As the waitress went over to the cash register to put the money into the till, she watched the truck driver pulling off. One of the motorcycle riders said to her, that guy is really not much of a man. To which she responded, 
I don't know whether he's much of a man. I can tell you he's not much of a truck driver because he just ran over three motorcycles sitting out in the parking lot. That is exactly how we're not supposed to act. We laugh and I laugh and we say, good, someone got even with them. But we are not to seek to be even. We are not to repay evil for evil. And then he tells us, do good to one another and to everyone. Do good to one another. And especially, let's do good to those who are of the household of faith, for other believers in Christ. This is our role. So we are to respect those who are over us, and we are to minister to those who are around us. And as we do that, we will be living the type of lives that the Lord Jesus has called us to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us that we might be all that you've called us to be, that we might bring glory to your name. Help us to be faithful in serving you. Help us as a church that we might be healthy and that we would be caring and loving and ministering to people at whatever level they are at and whatever their needs are. Help us that we might reach out with the love and compassion of Christ. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.